Alexana. Good morning. Welcome to the Vineyard. We are really glad you're here with us. If you're watching online, we're also glad about that. If uh, you're in the sanctuary and can do so comfortably, why don't you stand? I'll read a scripture, I'll pray for us, and then we'll worship the living God. Um, just a brief announcement. Uh, we almost were about to do a 20th, uh, 20th century experiment. Our uh, AC units were stolen this last week. From stolen, <laughs> yeah. Don't be distracted. <laughs> uh, we got new ones, and they're, they're working. They just cranked on 22 seconds ago. So if you feel a little steamy, it's either one, the Holy Spirit, <laughs> or two, the Holy Spirit. All right. This is from Psalm 62. My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. Find rest, O oh my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. One thing God has spoken, two things have I heard, that you, O God, are strong, and that you, O Lord, are loving. God, we uh, intentionally set our souls at rest in your presence now. We trust you as our salvation and our rock, our fortress. God, I ask that you'd give us grace this morning to come to you with love and intention, that our hearts would be open to you, God, that you fill us with the Holy Spirit and um, bring forth your praise through our very bodies, our very minds, our very hearts, for the glory of Jesus. Amen.
26 verses 1 through 6 says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion we were like those who dream then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy then they said among the nations the Lord has done great things for them the Lord has done great things for us we are glad restore our fortunes O Lord like streams in the Negev those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Thank you, Jesus. Pour out our praise, we pour out our praise. 
we celebrate what the Lord has done for us at the table. He sacrificed all of him. He didn't have to, but he wanted to. And that makes all the difference. So cast your cares on him, for he cares for you. He loves you totally, completely. And he did this for you. It's his gift to you. So when you're ready to take communion, if you have confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are welcome to the table. We have two stations here. There's gluten-free options as well. Come down the diagonal aisles and you can take it back to your seat or the back of the room. Just stay in an attitude of worship.
the morning as we go back in to worship a little bit it just felt really important that we could sing a little bit of that last song and like just do business with holy spirit god i give you permission so as we're going to sing that for a little bit and then go into the last song but take this time with the lord and holy spirit to do an exchange in your heart and just give him permission morning again. Uh, Adam uh, spoke last week about loving God through our work. Um, if you didn't hear that, you weren't here, go online, indievineyard.org, and listen to that. It was really a great message on how we love God in the midst of the vocation, whatever that might be, wherever we might be. He spoke from the first commandment in Deuteronomy about loving God with all our, our heart, our soul, and our might about bringing our whole selves to whatever that we've been called or created to do. I loved when he said to be drawn by love rather than driven by fear. To be drawn by love rather than driven by fear. So that's the first commandment. And, and the Old Testament and the New Testament add a second commandment. As Jesus said in the King James, I'm sure he spoke in the King James, uh, like unto it, and that is to love your neighbor as yourself. This is the love that the Holy Spirit is calling us this morning to focus on. It's that second commandment. From the first commandment, we give everything to God. We live out the second commandment. We love our neighbors even as ourselves. So we're going to talk about this, that this morning. This love isn't theoretical. It's not just mental. It's just not philosophical. It's practical. It's the way we're actually called to live in the world, walk in the world like Jesus, and show his love. 
We can love God through our work, absolutely. We can love God by loving people. We can also love God and people by living in the world like Jesus lived in the world, by imitating him and letting the love of God go through us to other people so that, you know, not trying to be heretical here, when people meet us, they say, I think I met God. Word of the wise, you are not God. <laughs> Let's not get that mixed up. But he lives in us, and he wants to live through us. So if you don't mind, I know I'm getting, getting you up and down. Stand again if you're okay with that. I want to read our text for this morning. This is from Romans chapter 13, 8 to 14. Romans 13, 8 to 14. I'll be reading from the NIV. You'll see them on the screens, but would encourage you to turn to that if you have a Bible or a device. This is God's word to us this morning. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. God, would you make this real for us this morning? In all these words, God, would you bring out one or two that you want to speak to us, plant deep in us, and grow fruit from in us. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Um, there's pretty much in those verses. Uh, I'm not going to go word by word through those verses. Are you thankful for that? Probably. Hey. <laughs> Probably so. Um, I want to emphasize two themes in the midst of this, though. Just two themes, two callings for the followers of Jesus, two empowered invitations, two really critical commands, and, and uh, it's these two. As the people of God, we're called by God to extravagant love and an intentional life. As God's people, here in the midst of this world, filled with his Holy Spirit, we're called to extravagant love and an intentional life. So I'm just going to sort of tease out those two themes in the next couple of minutes. Extravagant love. Paul says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves has fulfilled the law. That's a huge statement from Paul who was all about the law until he met love. Until he met Jesus. And then all of a sudden he's all about Jesus. Because Jesus fulfilled the law. And he's got the guts to say, if we love, we've fulfilled the law. 
Um, real quickly, some of you look at that. You might be financial, uh, financially oriented, and you say, oh, you can't have any debt. I, we could talk about that another time. I don't think that's the sense of what Paul's saying. I think what Paul is communicating is, hey, what it, whatever you owe to someone, yeah, pay it quickly and in, in, in terms of the contract. But his bigger issue is this. You have an obligation. Don't get yourself stuck in obligations in the world. Your one obligation is this, and it never ends, love. Not until all is love in heaven do we be, are we released from the obligation to love, to give everything that God gave to us right out into the world. There is a debt that's never fulfilled. As the people of God, we're called to extravagant love. So what does that look like? One is, and, you know, I felt this, you probably have too. Sometimes, you, you know, you're dealing with a person, you think, I have loved enough. That's it. I'm done. Filled the quota. I'm probably 110%. And Paul and Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God, and every, the whole Trinity says, uh, no. You're not done yet. <laughs> I can never say I've loved enough. I don't think that's meant to be a burden to us. I think that's meant to be an encouragement and an invitation, a reminder that's the same way that God's continually given himself to us in Jesus and through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We have the obligation. I don't use that word lightly. We have the obligation to give it away to others. What we have been given by God, we get to. We must give away to others. We owe people around us the love that God's given us. Now, some of you, like, that feels like legalism. I don't, I'm just saying what I think the Bible says. We owe people around us the love that's, that God has given us. He won't condemn us when we screw up because of Jesus. But that doesn't release us from the obligation, the compulsion, the empowering of the Holy Spirit to do it. I don't think this means that we always have to give. I don't think this means that I was driving here this morning and I came over the, 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 what used to be railroad tracks between uh, Corporation Drive and Masters Road and um, I saw this figure in orange. It, I mean, it's just like a little figure. I thought, it's like a gnome or it's a, I don't know what, it, it was a man just sitting there intently looking. And, I mean, I'm about to preach on this passage. My first thought was, God, what do you want me to do? I, I got to stop. I got to do something. I felt the Lord lovingly say, I don't think this is an excuse. I'll take care of him. He's mine. I got him. I don't know what he was doing there. If he's there on my way home, I'm stopping. <laughs> I don't think this means we have to give every time. But I think it means that we will always be compelled to love. Whatever we do, we're compelled to love. The last four commandments from God to Moses on the mountain are summed up by this one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. So love sums up the law. It's the fulfillment of the law. The most important, the most practical, the most present uh, uh, command for us in the New Testament and the Old is to love. Love God first and then love others. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, the famous marriage passage that just isn't for weddings anymore. 
Without love, all the gifts in the world are like a clanging gong or a cymbal. In, in love, life takes on the music of heaven. We're no longer under the law. That means we don't have to do stuff out of fear of punishment or retribution from God. We're now under grace, which means we get stuff from God that we never deserve and could never pay for. That's what we live in as believers. Some hear that, we're under grace, and they think, that means I can do whatever I want. Now, hear this, you can, as long as it's in love. As long as it comes from pure love for God and for others, do whatever you want. That's not my, my, those aren't my words. Augustine, fourth century, smart guy, really loved God. You know that because he's like from 16 centuries ago. This is what he said scandalously, Augustine, fourth century, love God and do whatever you please. For the soul trained in love to God will do nothing to offend the one who is beloved. I'll say that again, Karen. <laughs> love God and do whatever you please. For the soul trained in love to God will do nothing to offend the one who is beloved. I think what Augustine and Paul and Jesus are saying is if you're consumed by the love of God for the love of God, when you walk it out into the world and you do everything in love, you're not going to want to do nasty stuff. You're going to be like Jesus. You're going to forgive your persecutors. You're going you're to give away the power of God. You're going to humble yourself no matter what your position is. Love is the motivation. It's the goal and the means of living like Jesus on the earth. Jesus and Paul agree. We're called to love others as we would love ourselves. Now, 14% of you, it's just a guess, are sitting out there and you're saying, but I don't love myself. Actually, I hate myself. I'm just telling you because I've been there before and I know what it's like out in the world. Some of you are saying that. And I want you to hear this very respectfully. I don't think you hate yourself. I think you may wish you were different than you are. I think you may have turned your anger inward. But I'll bet you still desire the very best for yourself. You still long for all that you think would be blessed by God in your life. You do believe you should be different and you may be refusing to acknowledge your need for God, and you may be refusing to trust God with who you are and where you are in the world. I've been there. I do know what that feels like. You may think you should be able to do it on your own, and I say this lovingly because someone said it to me 20 years ago, repent of your pride. Nobody said say that again. Repent of your pride. Self-hatred is really a, a, a deformed type of pride that says, I should be different than God made me. I should be able to do it on my own. I shouldn't need Jesus. I should just be able to be something different. So you can come talk to me about that afterwards. We can pray about that. But I encourage you. You do love yourself. You long for what God has for you. But the enemy distorts it. And it comes across as self-hatred. That's just an excursus. I, that's just for free. Extravagant love does not have to be extreme. 
So I'm, I'm working on this message, and I'm getting all geared up, like, I'm going to really fire him up. Holy Spirit's going to come. It's going to be 100 degrees in there. It is 100 degrees in there. And then I felt like the Lord said, just very kindly, in my language, <laughs> extravagant love does not have to be extreme. Extravagant love does not have to be extreme. Someone very close to me recently donated a kidney to a friend. That's extreme. That's sacrificial. Well, that's amazing. But extravagant love doesn't have to be giving away an organ. Uh, I've got a friend. Uh, I don't have any reason to believe he's a believer. And I interact with him often. I see him. When I see him in a day, um, I usually try to go over and say hi just to be friendly. And I'm usually ready for about a five-minute conversation. He's ready for about a 35-minute conversation. I'm sort of driven to get the next thing done. I do my very best to stay present, to listen, to ask questions, not just to look like I care, but to stand there and care. Let, let my heart come out. I don't do it perfectly every time. I promise, and he would tell you the same. But I think that's extravagant love. It doesn't have to be extreme. I mean, I can handle it. It's not like I have to give him an organ every day. But I still think that's extravagant love. Sometimes extravagant love is just giving a little extra, just a little bit more, just being present, just waiting. Maybe there's something else. It's treating another person as you would want to be treated. It's loving your neighbor as yourself. It's just being there for another person. As followers of Jesus who gave himself for us while we were still sinners, we're called to extravagant love, whether it's death or just a little bit more time. My friend doesn't need an organ from me. He needs my ear. That's what he needs. He just needs me to stand there and listen and love and laugh. He's recently divorced. He's got no one. The dog doesn't talk that much. I've been with him. He just needs someone to listen. As the people of God, we're called by God to extravagant love and an intentional life. Intentional life. Let's read this again, if we can. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up. Hear that one. Wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. I'll start with that last verse. Don't think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. I think Paul's just saying simply, don't think about how to sin. Don't make a plan for sin in the morning. We've all done it. We've all gotten up in the morning and thought, oh, there's something going on today. I get this opportunity to eat two bags of Doritos. I'm playing. I'm making fun. There are other things. We've all got our stuff. The enemy comes after us wherever he can. An intentional life demands at least two things. We've got to know what time it is, and we, we've got to know what to do at this time. We've got to know what time it is, and we've got to know what to do at this time. Paul says, here's what time it is. Time to wake up. 
just time to wake up. Uh, Audra and I were speaking earlier, and Audra said, isn't it interesting that when we're talking about, because I shared with the team earlier, about waking up and being aware that um, here we are really uncomfortable in a hot room. It's almost like God saying, you, this, this isn't going to be easy. You might be uncomfortable. You know, if you're a, if you're a, a sleeper, if you like to sleep and, and somebody wakes you up, that's not really fun. I don't mind it because I'm the waker-upper. <laughs> Paul says it's time to wake up. There are a lot of things that you can do when you're asleep. We can talk in our sleep. We can hear in our sleep. We can walk in our sleep. We can sing in our sleep. We can think in our sleep. We call that dreaming. It's possible to walk through our lives as Christians asleep. You know it because you know someone who's done it, or if you're honest, you've done it. You've walked through a season, a day, a week, years, a decade, a lifetime, and you realize I've been asleep. I, 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 I haven't been awake. To wake up from our slumber means first, wake up to the reality of God in your life. You ever go to some place, you're outside of your home, and you're in a bed, and you're really tired, maybe you're traveling, you wake up, and you open your eyes, and you see a wall. And you think, I don't have a wall in my house like that. And it takes you a few minutes to realize where the heck you are, right? You sort of have to wake up to, oh, I'm in a different place. Oh, I'm doing something. I'm, I'm here for a purpose. Every day, we have to sort of wake up. God, who am I? Where am I? God, are you present here? What are you doing in my life? To wake up from slumber also means to reject this, um, the way the world wants to absorb us into its uh, realities. To avoid conforming to the world. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. To wake up means to be present to what's going on out there in the world and what wants to pull me in. What wants to suck me in so that I will be like the world. Then Paul says this uh, strange phrase, our salvation is closer is nearer than before. What's he talking about? Is he talking about you're going to die and go to heaven soon? I don't think so. I don't think he's talking about the individual salvation. I think what he's saying is, you know, the time's about to wrap up. Jesus is coming back. He came once, established the kingdom. He's coming again to consummate the kingdom. We live in between the times. And I think what Paul's saying is, hey, you know what? We're getting close. It's coming. Um, it feels like night right now. Maybe it's, uh, you know, just the morning. It's coming. Jesus is going to come back. It's time to wake up. The night's almost over. And so Paul gives this exhortation. Wake up. Our salvation is nearer. You know, the, the night's almost over. The day's coming. It's like he's saying, you know, the future age that we live in in the kingdom has come to the present. And we don't just live now for the future. We live from the future. We live from the coming kingdom because we got the king in us. And we get to live that out. The future kingdom has come to this age and we live from it. But we do have to wake up. One of my favorite authors, David Benner, in his book, Soulful Spirituality, he says, he gives an example. He, he's a retreat speaker, psychologist, um, so forth. He said there was a guy in a retreat one time and at the end of the retreat on, I don't know what it was about, 
this guy came up to David Benner and he said, you know, I was so tired when I came here. I thought, I just need rest. I just need to get away. I just need rest. And he said, after being here and experiencing God through the Holy Spirit, I realized what I really needed to do was wake up. I thought I came for rest. I thought I was beaten down by the world. What I really realized was, I just got to wake up to God. I just have to be present to what God's doing. And I think that's God's desire for us. So once we're awake, if you're still awake, once we're awake, what do we do at this time? And Paul's clear. Let us put aside or put off. Let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor or the weapons. Another translation says the armor or the weapons of light. Paul's saying, now that we're in the kingdom, we've been delivered from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, Colossians 1, right? Now that we're in this new kingdom, we dress differently. We look different in the world. We put on something different when we walk out into the world. We're not just talking about clothes, but that's the analogy. What do we walk out dressed in? What do we walk out every day clothed in? I think Paul's saying, you know, when you became a Christian, you changed your value system. So you're not, you're not just walking out every day with your Nike symbol or whatever it is these days. I have no idea. No, you're representing the kingdom. We represent the king of kings. We have a new uniform. We're different people. Bad analogy coming. That's a warning. It's like any sports player, you know, they're a famous person, they do whatever, and then they get traded to another team. What happens when they get traded to another team? They move to another place. They live somewhere different. They wear a different uniform. They have a different philosophy of the way they play the game. They have a new allegiance to a new team. They develop new habits. That's, that's us. When Jesus saved us from darkness into light, from the, uh, from the kingdom of the enemy to the kingdom of his beloved son, he, he, we, he changed our team. We play for someone else now, and everything has changed about us. He says, let us behave decently. That's a great word. We use that all the time. Let's believe, let us behave decently as in the daytime. And then he goes through this stuff, not carousing, drunkenness, immorality, debauchery, dissension, jealousy. In other words and I'm just paraphrasing. Forget the party life and the excess. Forget the party life and the excess. Allow Jesus to be Lord of your body and your mind. Seek love and unity and honor others above yourselves. Rejoice in the good of another person. Isn't that hard? Okay, maybe for you two it's not. It is for me. Rejoice in the good of another. You know, wherever you are in work, you're whatever years old and somebody is 20 years uh, less than your whatever and they get promoted above you. How's that feel? Rejoice in the good of another. That's putting away jealousy. Peter speaks to the people of the day that are being persecuted in First uh, Peter 4. He says, you have spent enough time in the past doing what unbelievers choose to do. Living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, detestable idolatry. Same list as Paul. 
They're surprised that you don't join them. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. That's the reality we walk in. And we can make jokes about it, but we're representing the king of a kingdom that if somebody isn't a part of, it's not good. It's really bad. It's life and death. So I said an, int uh, um, an intentional life is not just about what you don't do. It's also about what you, um, you do, what you choose to do. So Paul says, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus. I think what he's saying is be so enthralled with Jesus, be so familiar with Jesus, be so intimate with Jesus that you take on his character. You take on his identity. It's uh, one of our values over here, personal transformation. If you've been here long enough, this is just white noise. You've never seen that before. But I pointed out, this is one of our values. Personal transformation. We become more like Jesus every day in action and character. This is the will of God for us, that we're transformed into his image. The same way I said an extravagant life doesn't need to be extreme, an intentional life doesn't necessarily need to be intense. An intentional life doesn't necessarily need to be intense. You make a decision to wake up early, I'm going to spend the, uh, some time with God, I'm going I'm to read the Bible, I'm going to pray. So you do it. So you get up one morning, 10 minutes early, and you talk to God and you read the Bible. Sometimes it's not emotional, it's not power, it's not angels descending and ascending. You're not speaking in tongues, you're not on the floor with, you know, glory everywhere. It's just willpower. God, I said I'm going to get up. I love you, I want to be with you. Here I am. Intentionality doesn't mean intensity. In fact, I, I mean, I... I don't know if I stole this from someone. I probably did, but I've thought for years and sometimes said, consistency breeds intensity. It's not the other way around. You ever, you ever go to the gym? You know, you haven't been in the gym in like, you know, a week to 10 years or something like that. And you go and you think, you're not thinking this, but you work out real hard because what you're really thinking deep down is, I'm going to make up today for 10 years of lack. Yeah. I've done it. It, it kills you. And your intensity thwarts your consistency. And as a result, you get nothing out of it except a lot of pain. Consistency breeds intensity. Ever been around someone that you realize whatever it is that they love, they've done it consistently over days, weeks, years, decades. And you talk to that person. They don't come at you with a big hard thing. You can just feel the passion oozing out of them. I got a friend like that. He's just created a secret history with God for 35 years. Up every day, God, what do you want? Quiet, listening, journaling. He's got like 40 journals filled with things God said, things he wondered. And you sit with him and this quiet passion oozes out of him because consistency breeds intensity. Those people don't have to yell and scream at you about what to do. Their life speaks very clearly. As the people of God, we're called by God to extravagant love and an intentional life. I think that's the word of the Lord to us this morning. Before we close, prophetic discerners. We've always got someone over here 
um, willing to listen to God. And if you've got some words, anything you guys have for today? You're allowed to say no. Okay. Let's stand. If I could ask the ministry team to come forward. I don't know how God might have spoken to you this morning. I don't necessarily expect it was through my words. But the Holy Spirit's here, and he's doing something. He's invited you to be here this morning, and he's active in your life. So if there's anything that was stirred here this morning, God's doing something. It's an invitation. Maybe it relates to extravagant love. Maybe it relates to an intentional life. Maybe you really heard the call this morning, man, I got to wake up. I need some Holy Spirit caffeine. It's, it's ready to wake up and look out there and see what God's doing. I just, uh, as I pray, would invite you to come forward. And uh, people up here trained to pray with you, to be with you, to seek God on your behalf. Let's pray. We thank you, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for your real presence in this place. God, will you speak to us? Will you highlight whatever it is that you want this morning? God, we don't want another task. We want an invitation into the kingdom. We want to know what you're doing and we want to cooperate. So God, will you speak to us? Holy Spirit, we ask that you come and you bring your conviction, you bring your love, you bring your healing, you bring your comfort, you bring your power. We trust you, God, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like someone to pray for you, I'd encourage you to uh, come forward. If you want to know what's happening in the church, there's a QR code. You can, you know, take a picture of that. If you're hungry and or fasting, there are pancakes in the other room because we're raising some money for a trip to Roatan, so go eat. But uh, by all means, connect with one another and go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Amen.